You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. All right. Y'all ready for this? I'm ready for this. everybody welcome to 3dm's podcast it is episode 15 and we're going to be talking about a couple of things that are near and dear to my heart as it relates to D murder hobos and geopolitics in our new year new world uh so really quick before we get started we record out of the podcast detroit studios in royal oak if you're in the southeastern michigan area and you want to start your own podcast uh just head on down to podcast detroit it's super easy super comfortable studios and they got a bar which is normally really cool but i am i'm on the struggle bus today so our Jake had his golden birthday. He turned 27 on the 27th and is paying for it. Well, yes. He's almost all, 30, like me. <laughs> life is hard. That's why no yes, one survives. No, life is difficult. So, guys, yes. um, this week, casually, you know, uh, just browsing, perusing, doing some, uh, you know, some reading, a little, little light research for the show, and uh, saw an abnormal amount of posts about murder hobos this week, and I was like, you know what? You We're know talking what? about murder hobos. Why not? So... Uh, Let's launch right into it. Can we get the definition <clears throat> of murder hobo, please, if According you According to 1D4chan, adventurer is a title given to individuals whose occupation is, obviously, adventuring. They go down into the uh, main article here. Murder hobos is a term used originally pejorati- pejoratively, but occasionally affectionately, for player characters in RPGs. This term arises due to the fact that most venturing characters in parties are technically homeless vagrants, generally living on the road and sometimes in temporary accommodation, and the default solution to problems faced by the typical adventurer boils down to killing until the problem is solved or treasure is acquired. This is not wrong. A murder hobo is a character who has no real attachment to the world other than that which can be attained at the point of a sword. Um, So this is a perennial problem, quote unquote, for – Dungeon Masters and Game Masters across the world is what do you do about a player who doesn't care about anything outside of combat and acquiring money? What do you do, Paul? That's a tough question because the problem is that it's not ultimately speaking a a bad way to play the game. Disregard constabulary, acquire currency. Yes. So the problem is that – sorry, I say problem. But I should should (laughs) preface everything I'm about to say by saying that – being a murder hobo, quote unquote, is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Many games are best played like that, and Dungeons and Dragons could easily be considered one of them. Because it originates from the early ages of DD, where the best way to solve things was to kill them and take their money, because that's how you advanced. Loot and XP. Yes. They were intertwined. So the problem is not so much murder hobos existing. A party of five murder hobos is going to have a great time and no one's going to feel particularly bad unless the game master assumed that they were going to get into some big political thriller, which is also a fun game. But with murder hobos, is not going to happen because they're just going to stab their way through the local royal courts. So the real problem occurs when dedicated role players and murder hobos come into contact because at least one of those parties is going to come off feeling like they're getting, you know, the short yeah, no, the, yeah, they like a party of five murder hobos is fine, and a parter, uh, party of five role players is also fine. But yeah, we we start to have problems when they intermingle because somebody's not going to be happy at your table. Yeah. Um. So let's let's go with the adult things to do and say like the the logical nice stuff. Well, let's do, let's talk about talking to your players like an adult, which is surprisingly effective. Yeah. Um. You should talk to your players, obviously, first. This is the preface. You should talk to them and figure out what it is they want. Right. 
So yeah, the the adult things, you know, let's let's go with just the normal rational things that you should try first before you start getting out of hand. Uh, so obviously, talk to your players. Um, you know, if you're a DM and you want to run more of a political thriller, you know, kind of a game or a game that's role play heavy, then boom, uh, just you know, you got to have chat with your player and say this is what I'm trying to do because you got to remember that sometimes. Uh, you're DM. allowed to have fun too. Yeah, well, a DM style and a group's play style, they don't always mash. Like they don't always mesh well, you know. So, uh, you know, sometimes you just gotta suck it up and you know let them murder, let them play. Either let them murder and let them play, or uh, you know have that discussion with them and say no, or find I, a new group. Yeah, honestly, you sometimes because sometimes There's you're never just a not shortage compatible. of players. Yeah, yeah. sometimes so. you might just want to come up and say, guys, I want to tell a story with my friends. I don't just want to like. If I wanted to do murdering, we'd play Halo. Yeah. Kick a door and murder some orcs, take their money. Yeah. I, or give them some opportunities to do some going down. To speak for the devil, so to speak, I should say there's it's somewhat hard to draw the definition between a, a player who's role-playing a greedy mercenary character and a player who just does not care about anything outside of rolling dice thrilling and, and killing. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a fine line between role-playing and just being a jerk. I mean because the thing is that a greedy mercenary is – a not exactly an unreasonable character archetype. No. And would play much like a standard murder hobo, except perhaps for the part of, let's just piss off the local constabulary because I can. Right. And there's a, that's also uh, brings me to another point. Character voices can also be important where you can say, no, this is definitely my character saying I want to do this. Not, you know, me as a player. Still. Just wants to. You should be careful gold. saying is, right. it's what my character should do as an argument because that right. argument is almost, except in very specific cir- uh, circumstances used by excellent role players telling why a suboptimal solution is being made is almost universally used to make jerk moves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it's as no, a DM, yeah, the, you the, need to use your discretion. Well, yeah, the minute somebody says that's what my character would do is usually just like Unless it's something like my character it's, is it's a almost compulsive. the same. It's almost the same as when somebody goes, "I'm not racist, but yeah, like okay, you're about to say some horribly racist stuff. You're about uh, to do no something offense, terrible. but yeah, yeah. It's, but yeah, whenever someone goes, but it's what my character would do. It's is it. Is, is it well, surely your character has a better sense of self-preservation than that. You're not going to go pickpocket the wizard because he can turn you into a newt. Well, except for me. My characters have no sense of self-preservation. <laughs> well, that's that's a that's a flaw in most systems, I got to tell you. <laughs> um, so those are the adult ways to deal with murder hobos. But let's talk about the um, unadvisable yet really fun and crafty These, solutions. If your players – if for whatever reason you're incapable of walking away from a game – your players will not compromise and you still have to deal with this situation. This is what I'd recommend after telling you that you should probably grow a bit more of a spine as to how to deal with things. Yeah, you're uh, in charge as the DM. <laughs> again, it's – You can take your ball and go home. Ultimately, you have to make the game fun for everyone involved. But if you're not having any fun, these are things you can do to work around them if you don't want to leave and you can't necessarily uh, tell them to qu- cut it. The best way to deal with somebody who isn't completely just rampaging through your setting but is still being perhaps a bit more trigger happy than you'd like is – well, there's three ways you can do it. You can distract them. You can give them things they would like to do and send them off to do them while the party is doing other things. This violates the cardinal sin, of course, of never split the party. But it may be the only way that you can talk to the king without the murder hobo going, I'm going to start going through these guards like a galette. Although if you get to that point, you should probably consider finding a different group. Yeah. Well, I did – although this does uh, this does bring to mind there was a excellent story I saw once of how a DM uh, actually kind of turned the tables on his murder hoboing party. Uh, to sum it up briefly, they got to a bridge and there was a troll at the bridge and the troll demanded money to cross the bridge because that's what trolls do. And the party uh, who claimed – which by the way claimed they were good um, after <laughs> after telling the troll they weren't paying twice, uh, then attacked the troll, murdered the troll and upon looking for loot discovered all they found was various supplies to maintain the bridge. It was the troll's bridge. He had built it for the town and it was over a swift coursing violent river that uh, – <laughs> So they just destroyed local infrastructure. They ruined. They killed local workmen and are going to face up to two thousand dollars for ten years in jail. Oh, when the party found out, they apparently felt really bad, and then they buried it, but they gave it a name, even though it already had a name. And uh, typical chauvinist PCs. <laughs> yeah, uh, the paladin actually pretends it never happened because uh, apparently the paladin was pretty shook by that. Uh, in true paladin fashion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. But, 
It's uh, but riffing on that though, that's another decent way to at least um, everything has a place in the world. Interject. Nobody is just something for you to mow through in order to get to the Dark Lord. Yeah, except for skeletons. Yes, yeah. skeletons are skeletons deserve to get kicked apart, Harryhausen style, in a, in, with the xylophone sound effect. But uh, that is an effective way to if you're trying to do your own stuff a little bit as a DM and like the party again, like you haven't been able to work it out or talk it out or you know done the other things. Uh, Try to put them in positions where – or I wouldn't say try to put them in positions. Uh, Make have reasonable like existing positions where there's not a good answer that can be solved through murder. Yeah, and have logical consequences to their actions. They can't make it – they can't make whatever scheme they're working because unions are being difficult because they feel they're not getting paid enough. They're not just going to go through and butcher the union leaders, hopefully. 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 I wouldn't put it past some people. but That's what happened to Hoffa. GM, you can always kill players. Yeah, I would not recommend Sorry. it, but yeah. you can. No, that is yeah, that's a very old yeah, that's last resort. But um, yeah. that being said, in old-fashioned games, I would agree with Helen. Do not hesitate to kill players in certain games, but in I don't want to say like in a more to. enlightened age, you no. should only kill players when it's pro- plot relevant. You should. This is going to be a very brief summary of a topic we're going to talk about in the future. If a player does something very stupid and you warn them about it, you can go ahead and kill them for their stupidity. Yeah, the I yeah. told you so. Yeah, but. When it comes to resolving your issues with murder hobos, um, murder last, like kill their character last because typically – That's a, not really a solution. It's just going to make them angry. Yeah. Yeah. Kill a, last. Yeah. A, yeah. A, you're going to make them mad and B, um, you know, like they're just going to go from playing a murder hobo rogue to a murder hobo sorcerer. So, you know, you're not really going to fix much. Uh, have conversations with your players. Uh, be an adult. Yeah. Be, you know, be healthy. Sometimes realize that, hey, this game isn't going to work. Um, you know, because the people who are playing in it don't like the way, you know, like in your DMing style, they just don't match up because, you know, it's every, whatever. this is a pretty subjective game. Yeah. Every, ultimately has I, different sides and different views on everything. So I hate to make this comparison, but Dungeons and Dragons is actually one of the best games for a murder hobo to play in because it's so <laughs> entwined with killing things and taking money. Oh, yeah. And the only games I'd recommend this over uh, would be stuff like Battletech's RPGs, the MechWare RPGs yeah. or stuff, which is just. Okay, here's the rules. We're only going to present rules for combat and for raging campaigns. We're not going to talk about anything outside of combat. Here. Here you go. Start shooting giant robots. Done. Dungeons & Dragons is slightly better for that because it's – let's be real. The game is mostly about acquiring loot and experience. Yeah. The, now that the magic item mart doesn't exist anymore, the money doesn't provide as much of a result. But, I mean, how else are you going to get, go on a week-long bender – where you just get as drunk as possible every single waking minute of the day like most adventures probably do. Yeah. Um, oh, and one other thing I uh, – or one other facet of how murder hobos kind of happen in D&D. Um, XP also has a large part to play in it. Yes. That's a solution we didn't discuss. They, you, you should give – a good way is – I'm sure Jake is about to mention this. You can give players exper- equal experience points for resolving a situation nonviolently. Yeah. yeah. This is a problem that many <laughs> – games have is that you can get more experience by just slaughtering your way through everything. But honestly, my personal solution, which I do all the time, is if you solve a situation without using violence, you get just as many experience points as you would if you had just killed them. Yeah. And uh, that encourages you to not risk your life in situations where you don't need to. Where you, yeah, where you feel always feel you got to stab. It's not like, oh, there's a troll. You know what we should do? We should just stab him. Maybe we should talk through it instead. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also find that like I – because I – Basically did away with XP about a year and a half ago. You just say you've leveled now. Yeah, yeah it's not necessarily a bad choice. It's um, not how D and D is supposed to work, but it it does work still. It, it has but also make sure everyone levels at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Well, it has it has helped in some regards. There's still times where having XP would be more helpful, but um, at the same time, it's made uh, people quit doing things. Just you know, basically doing it for the vine. RIP vine. Uh, you know, like I'm gonna do this ridiculous thing and try to get XP for it. Right. Because I used to award bonus XP and stuff. So by getting uh, rid of that and just being like, okay, you've leveled because you've done You've completed enough. a major plot point. Yeah. yeah. We do, you do do inspiration though, right? Inspiration is yeah. a great yeah. mechanic. I love it. Which is, which is like better for than experience for good role playing, being able to, you know, role play yourself out of a situation. Like I role played really well and he didn't uh, a couple weeks ago and he you didn't even make me roll. Yeah. I lied my ass off to Clint. <laughs> And he bought it. Rip Clint. Couldn't, Rip be, Clint Clint couldn't be here. Um, hey, he is celebrating his grandma's 91st birthday. He's being I, a good boy. I don't blame him. I'm just disappointed he's not here That's with us. That's why he's not here. I know. Okay. So um, 
yeah, that's pretty much how you deal with murder hobos. I mean, I've got other solutions, which is if if they're not willing to be distracted, you can give them opportunities where people are being completely unreasonable. Because despite what some people may believe, in real life, sometimes people can be completely unreasonable and ready to fight. Yeah. Maybe they're drunk. This is a fantasy Maybe world. they're Maybe they uh, really want to see the manager. Yeah. Maybe someone's being a hobo. real jerk to that McDonald's cashier and you need to take him out back and beat him with a sword until he stops being problematic. Yep. So that's another way to do it. And the last I'd recommend dealing with it is just give in. Give him fights yeah. that exist. You don't need to have him always fighting everything. But come up with enough solutions that he doesn't feel like his time is being wasted. Right. Yeah. And I say he, but I mean he or she. This the, is a fact, male problem almost exclusively. Oh, uh, really? Because I've seen it almost universally in women players. <laughs> hey, man, it's a fantasy world. You can finally I mean, again, chop down that asshole who's talk, being annoying. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a huge stereotype. Yeah. Bear with me. The first time – uh, a woman plays Dungeons and Dragons. She plays a lunatic who oh, kills yeah. absolutely anything. Oh, yeah. This is Super a problem I've, I've seen. I was a wizard. Not a problem. This is a thing I've seen dozens and dozens of times. It's the very first time they just butcher their way oh, through Oh, yeah. Everything. It's revengeance. It's true for it's most men. It's true for about half of men too, but it's actually more common in women. Hmm. I'm not going to go into the psychological reasons because I'm not trained for that, but it's – Oh, girls, you know. I'm, I'm sure they know, but <laughs> I, I can't speak yeah, for that a, experience. Okay? Anyway. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I've been playing with all, Sophie now for two <laughs> and she just plays like, you know, for such a nice, well-educated, soft-spoken young lady, she just plays the most violent, battle-hardened monster. Also, Dylan, <laughs> shut up. up. I'm up playing my character. <laughs> <laughs> not true. That is not true. Sophie, you're a great player. I love you. <laughs> okay. So, that's Murder Hobos. And now on to – yeah, In a non-romantic way, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, before we move on to talking about geopolitics uh, – Let's. We're gonna plug the show really quick. We're gonna plug our giveaway. We are doing a giveaway. Once we get to 500 likes on Facebook, on our Facebook page, we are gonna give away two Dungeons and Dragons books. Um, one to two people. Yep, I one to say. two people, yeah. and non-special editions. But we're willing to sign anything you uh, we send out to you if for some reason you want that. Yeah. Um. So head over to our Facebook page if you're new watching the show. Head over to our Facebook page. Give us a like. Um. I noticed we have more follows than likes. They're not the same thing. Well, yeah. I mean, we, like we follows, still like follows anyway, but. If you want to win a book, like us. Yeah. It costs you one click. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, just found out last week that we can be found individually on iTunes now. So if you want to listen to the, our backlog of stuff, you can actually find our podcast on iTunes and we have our show on SoundCloud as well. And a couple other places, but I'm still on the struggle bus today. So just. Bear with me. And on Podcast Detroit's website, our recording home site, yeah. podcastdetroit.com. Yeah. yeah. So Jeez. all that stuff. Yeah. But go like our page. We want to give people books. Give us that thumbs up. Yeah. So moving on. Uh, it is the last week of – On a lighter topic. Yeah. <laughs> new year, new world. I don't know. I love murder robots. Um, <laughs> let, uh, we're on the last week of January. We, we're doing new year, new world. Um, we're not – really done but we've finished talking about everything that really needs to be talked about except for this last yeah topic. for creating a setting and this is geopolitics which oh not thanks for linking us on soundcloud there yeah um which which is my favorite geopolitics yeah. is an interesting topic to anyone who's studied not studies necessarily anyone who's learned remotely anything about history inevitably learns that people don't exist in a vacuum oh and yeah that everyone interacts with everyone else for various reasons and we're going to talk about this extremely wide, all-encompassing and diversive topic right now. Yeah. yeah. Paul and I are going to spell Jake. Yeah. It's – you know, yeah. So I mean it's like you could literally talk about the ins and outs of geopolitics and use examples. This is a class that – I mean this is an yeah. entire course in college. For yeah. Example. So we're just going to – We're going to fit into an hour. We're going to try – yeah. We're going to try to cram it into about 45 minutes here. Um, so – Geopolitics in your fantasy setting. Um, again, when you're doing stuff, you know, if you're not running adventures from a book and you're, you know, you have your own homebrew setting. There's nothing wrong with running adventures from a book, by the way. Seriously. It it's much you a like, lot of trouble. Instead of telling a story to your kids, you read a book. Like, both of them are completely valid. Yeah. Um, when it comes to making your world, though, feel like it's lived in, feel like it's, you know, it's actually a place that exists, uh, geopolitics is very important in that because it helps uh, shape identities, people, places, and it, it – And sets up plots. The what, yeah. when, where, why, and how. Thank you. you. So from the top down, um, 
you know, in fantasy settings, uh, there is a discussion we had in the car was there is a typical like everything is very rigid in a lot of poorly done fantasy settings like uh, country X hates country Y just because they're right next to each other and they have to hate each other. Um, Believe it or not, that's, that's something that actually does happen, but it's rare and I'd recommend against using it. I mean, we live in Michigan and we hate Ohio, but still. There's reasons for that. It's, well, it's they because they fought a war with us. us. Yeah, which in which no one got shot. And one, one, one person fell down. One person fell down and everybody went home. Best war ever. Uh, but we – yeah, when we got the UP, so – Get also, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you got Toledo. Sucks yeah. to be you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We got to call ourselves the Great Lake State, man. You don't. Um, uh, but yeah, there's a lots of reasons why. There are cer- plenty of reasons why countries hate each other. Oh yeah. So Paul and I are going to go through some interesting historical examples. Uh, which Very you briefly. First or shall I? Compare. Uh, you go first. Why? Okay. Uh, also, here do, do, no. do. Here, here are my uh, time cards. Excellent. I'm going to give myself. Uh, can I give myself five? Where's minutes? the bell? Here it is. No, we got the bell. Just okay. All right. Go, go. go. All right. So Henry V. I'm going to oh, talk sorry. about a book I have here called Henry V and the Battle That Made England, Agincourt by Juliet Barker, which is very good. I've read this several times. The battle in which the which ranged weapons were realized to be superior. Yeah, aka the French get wrecked. <laughs> so Henry V was the king of England in between like 1450 or sorry 14 like 13. And the 1430s sometimes. Dates right. aren't super important. But anyway. He, How does this relate to the French? He wanted to invade France because he could. one of his predecessors did. And it sounded like a great idea. Ain't nothing riles the people up like a good old war, eh? And fuck the French. Sorry, I used up one of our F-bombs. But that's a classic British one thing to two. do. Very classic. Uh, the Battle of Cassy had gone super well in the 1300s. And he was like, you know what? I want to be a super good king. And so he enacted all this stuff, like got everybody on board. His like as soon as he was crowned, he was like, All right, start making arrows, y'all, we gonna do this. And campaign wise, this actually worked out really well. And the way the way that geology or geology somewhat, but geography mostly can really work into your campaign in a tactical setting. Uh one of the things that, you know, they planned this to be like a short thing. They were like in the summer, they were gonna go across to France, go mess stuff up, steal a bunch of shit. Go back, take Calais, and go back to England. Two out of two. That's Sorry. all for our – Sorry. Swears. I just get excited. That's all for our session today. Uh, Sorry, guys. Uh, but uh, anyway, they were like, OK, let's go to Harfleur first. And the French uh, unstopped their dams. They flooded the region. And then in the English all got dysentery. So that's the sort of thing you need to think about. You well, ran out of mans because you all let's, got sick. Let, let's remind everyone – Yeah. This isn't even at Agincourt. That overconfidence is a slow and insidious killer. Ooh, but yes. secondly – so it's dis- that dis- magic that cures disease <laughs> is very much a thing in D&D. And that the big thing about Agincourt that everyone remembers is that the knights got stuck in mud and Ooh, got yes. pelted so death when, with long boats. Yes, they had to go around the Somme to get back to Calais where the English boats at the garrison could come get them and go back to England because they all got sick at, uh, at Harfleur. And thanks, Jake. And so they wound up in this valley. First of all, the English got to pick their battle site. If you get to pick your battle site. You're going to lose. Well, I mean, the enemy's going to lose. You're <laughs> yeah, going to exactly. win. exactly. You're going right. to win. Uh, and this all worked. The key thing is here is that uh, the English had a great king who was very smart, young, and very experienced. Uh, Henry V had actually – this is my favorite gruesome fact about Henry V. He is my – he is the only English monarch to be displayed in profile on his or her official portrait because when he was 16 years old at a battle in the north of England, he took an arrow straight to the face. Ooh, rough. And uh, had to be like, no, you kind of should like come sit down. And he's like, I'm ready to fight. And they're all like, Mm-mm, please, please sit down. And uh, managed to they managed to dig, get him out of him. And he lived to be you know forty some, and which was you know all right. But uh, he had an ugly side uh, to like so, him at the so, but anyway, well, let's take a step back here. Archers. How does that how this have to do with the French? Like the I French. don't mean to interrupt, but we Sorry. just talked about uh, Henry V his- for like. Two minutes. Sorry. Um, get it. He's a babe. Yeah, he's a babe. He's my crush. Uh, but uh, he, his grandfather had a claim to France and he thought he did too. And this way he could uh, control Western Europe, get more into the continent because they were being ignored um, due to like schemes on the continent by the Holy Roman Emperor. It's all very complicated um, or something. Again, he – this – Agincourt was not the decisive battle. No, it was not. But it was definitely a big it one. It made a big deal because it, it, it seemed a lot bigger than it was. It was the end of melee so combat, anyway, so to speak. Jake's giving me the red card here, but can I, can I please get to our point just because I feel yes, like I ran yes, it on. I'm sorry. Please. So they wound up in a valley. The English had all these archers. Most of their heavy cavalrymen had died uh, of dysentery or had to be invalided home. And what they did was they took their spikes. They put them into the ground. 
like these big wooden pikes uh, and put the archers behind. And they were in like this wooden va- wooded valley where it's like a meadow in the middle and trees and hills on either side. The French, meanwhile, the big problem about this is that they were not organized. Yeah, the knights wanted to go ahead and win all the glory. Yes. The prince or the king and the dauphin, his oldest son, both did not show up. And then all the nobles who did show up were fighting with each other about Stuff. Who gets to charge first? Yeah, who gets to charge first? Who is in charge of what? Random infighting. Uh, even though they managed to put all their random infighting aside and take care of this English problem, which the English had gone on chevauchee and been like, you know, ransacking towns and so on. Uh, but they were all wearing heavy plate armor. Their Genoese crossbowmen were like, this is dumb and bounced. Um, Ran away as soon as possible. Yeah, they were like, oh, peace. We're just mercenaries. We'll talk about mercenaries in a moment here, oh, actually. Yeah, that's but. my favorite. Genoese crosswomen are great, but they'll probably just leave you hanging. Uh, and then all the French in their plate armor and horses in this muddy field decided we're going to charge straight at those spikes. Su- this is going to work great. Watch. Yeah, this is going to work great. And they, and they got, got butchered in mud yeah, by a, longbows. A hail of the term, uh, a hail of arrows or arrows like a black cloud comes actually from a monk's account of uh, this battle from hiding in the baggage train, the English baggage train. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, okay. Sorry, that was now, really good. Cool. Read the book. To reiterate and get back on topic here, no offense, Helen, we talked about the single battle of Agincourt Sorry. for a bit too long there. <laughs> so, England had a claim to fame, uh, had a claim to France's throne and wanted to contest that claim. Right. This is something you can take for your setting because I, I will bet money that your setting has at least one feudal power in it. Yes. And probably more than one. And all of them want more land because more land is more tax money. So they'll be fighting each other. But they can't just say, I'm going to fight this country because I can. They're going to say, I'm going to fight this country because I'm secretly the king to this throne. Yeah. So the idea, you know, obviously the main idea between geopolitics is how everybody relates to each other and how everything – Everyone is searching for power. Everybody is – yeah, combination of everybody searching for power and how everybody relates and how everybody allies themselves. A really good example of modern uh, geopolitic is USA and Canada. In yes. a very for a very benign situation because we're very similar uh, cultures, so to speak. Very similar cultures, very similar northern United States and Canada. Anyway. Yeah, um, very similar uh, geography wise. You know, for the northern half of the United States, uh, there's a lot in common, but culturally, we are vastly different. Oh yes, we don't like Tim Hortons down here in the United States. Sorry, yeah, guess that's the yeah that's the biggest one we don't. Hey, like Hey, I will ride or die for Timmy's. Okay, well, Timmy saved my life once. Well, in that case, you're one of ten. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. There's a combination secret Timmy's and Wendy's Canadian. over in Ipsy. It's great. You're a secret Canadian. Um, but – sorry, I lost my train of thought. Coming it back to it and we're back to it. Uh, culturally, we are vastly different from Canada. Uh, well, I wouldn't say vastly. But we're pretty different from Canada. Mm. You know, as far as for our similarities, like if you just, you know, at a glance how similar we are. Well, we're we're the, both Western European civilizations I should say. Yeah. Culturally, very different. Uh, and that is something to – OK. That is something to take into account when you are making your setting. Not everybody's going to be at war. Not everybody's going to hate each other. But you do have to think of ways for people to identify themselves and how they associate. Yes. For example, trade policies. you know, like – Let us talk about trade policies for 15 minutes. Yeah, we're about to. Um, hey, man. The Phantom Menace in Star Wars was literally about a trade dispute. Yep. Oh, my God. And that's why – that's why people don't like it because right. it's about that real shit, that so, realness. But go, go on, Jake. Sorry. You've used up all our swear words. Sorry. No. I You've can't already even swear have. that you have. Now we're three out of two. Oh, no. Anyways, so culturally, Canada compared to America, everything is, you know, like from just easy to look at comparisons. You can see like how they were inspired by the French, uh, you know, because a lot of, you know, Yeah, a lot of Canada was founded and settled by the French, where a lot of the United States was settled and uh, worked on by mostly. That Frenchness was really secondary after they gained independence from the UK. Well, okay, let's take a a step back. The United States eastern seaboard is settled by. Again, this is a hard thing to try to talk about in 40 minutes. The English, the Spanish, and the Dutch. We're not going to go too much into it because there's way too much to talk about. Yeah. And I could talk about it for a two-hour podcast. So, But a lot of culture was influenced by their French roots. Uh, same thing. You can look at Louisiana. A lot of things influenced by their French roots. Probably because the French owned it first. Yeah, exactly. So how this, my boy. how this relates to being able to run it in culture, a, culture it in game. Culture is 
more, well, I would say it's more important than country, but culture goes beyond country. Adjacent countries probably share multiple cultures with each other, and that's probably a source of conflict is that both sides consider themselves to be the one who actually is the true home of this culture and that all the lands that the other culture occupies is theirs. Yeah. So if we're going to translate this into fantasy terms, for example, um, a place that has been settled by dwarves for a long, long time, time ago. A thousand yeah. years. A thou- yeah. a a thousand, dwarven civilization. A dwarven clans. Uh, there, but humans have lived in the area and they have coexisted with the dwarves. They are going to have riffs on dwarvish dishes. They are going to have uh, dwarvish dressing, well, dwarven, so dwarvish clothes, words, yeah. dwarvish funeral customs. And at the same time, the dwarves are going to import human food. They're going to import human religion probably at some point. Human ideas. Human ideas, certainly. So at a certain point, like when it comes to doing this, because this is a really hard thing to do in your games. This is something that's probably never going to come out to the actual players, but it's important to note as a sort of world building thing. Yeah, it's a world building thing and it's also a good way to make your world feel lived in. You know, um, not every single culture lives – no culture exists in a vacuum. Except for hermit kingdoms, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, you know, any any culture that is part of a large community community is – there's going to be exchange of ideas and crossover ideas. So what your job is when you're suddenly making your world, you have to figure out, okay – how would the let's let's use the idea of archery? If orcs suddenly get really good with doing archery, um, how does that impact their culture? How does that impact their warfare? How does that impact their lives? Yeah. How, how does that impact their economy? Yeah. You know, would the orc king say, "Okay, we got to get you know all you know every goose like in the book I just mentioned, Henry the Fifth uh, said had a decree that like every farmer that has geese, you need to get like twelve feathers from each goose." Yeah. Like, how is that going to impact, you know, if the, orcs the tree, to, the, lump, the forestry service for the orcs, like, it, to get the nice yeah. straight U to make arrows with? Yeah. If they decide to suddenly start saying every orc over the age of eight has to start practicing archery. Right, exactly. How does that impact their lives? Yeah. How does that impact the lives of those around them? Because what if there's humans living among the orcs? I mean, humans are, in almost all fantasy set- settings, extremely adaptable. Right. So it's probably not unreasonable to assume that any community has some number of humans living in it. Right. Yeah. So you've got this orc tribe and you got a bunch of humans living in as, you know, fur traders and merchants and they just suddenly start practicing archery. Yeah, who How may, are they may react not to have us? varying degrees of uh, orc blood assimilation. Right. Yeah, that too. So, gang. Um, to refocus. Yeah, let's yeah let's bring it back. We're going to refocus in. I want to talk so, about assimilation also in yeah. a bit. but um, So let's talk about trading. And again, because this goes back to cultures, exchanges of ideas, yada, yada, yada. Um, you need to – Figuring out political uh, relationships and dynamics is – It's not what you think of when you think about world building. I got to tell yeah, you. It's, but it's, it's almost one of the best parts. It's, it's very well, fun. If you enjoy the process of world building, it's very fun. But, yeah. Biased, but um, – Coming up with a thorough understanding of like at least for your setting how trade and political shenanigans – this is the best way to use it, works, is very beneficial because it, again, adds just another layer to your world. With trading, for example, you have to think of, okay, what does location X have? What does location Y not have? Why do they have a good relationship? Is their relationship rocky? Is their relationship solid because they've just been going with this trade? Let's say that one place is a port town. They got a lot of shrimp. Bubgub Shrimp Co. is hot in our fictional little shrimp town. They make and skrill off that krill. Um, but they don't have a lot of trees. So they trade shrimp for trees. <laughs> for lumber. Okay? Sorry. All right. This, this, They're trading a bunch of shellfish for a bunch of wood. That's what the problem is. Here. Yeah. No, exactly. And at one point, suddenly, shrimp town, all the shrimp leave. The shrimp the shrimp have had enough. They dry up. The shrimp move elsewhere in their yeah. lives. Um, yeah. The shrimp have had it. Over and fishing. Yeah. They, uh, they take off. So in this really weird, long-winded fantasy analogy, what does the tree town suddenly do? They, you know, they're not getting their shrimp, which they've grown very accustomed to. They got to get it somewhere else. They got to get it somewhere else. So fish town is going to wither and die. And at that point, shrimp town, bubblegum shrimp co. might become armed, militant, and try to go seize the production of the trees. Or maybe even seize production of other shrimp. Alternatively, their, uh, yes. Seize the going. shrimps of production. Yeah. <laughs> Might be easier. 
ultimately. Because it's the ocean, you mean they seize it? No, I don't. <laughs> Stop. Please. I can't I can't walk away. I can't walk away. This is my show. It's thing. awful, but I can't look away. Oh, jeez. Okay, so we're talking about trade routes. Trade is important. In fact, trade is the lifeblood of many nations. It is. And even if this is a setting in which the Dark Lord is afflicting your landscape and you need to have all the nations band together, you should at least consider what is each nation getting out of their neighbor? Yeah. Trade is the biggest one, obviously. Warfare is another one, but trade is the one that you think about. And when you're making your or map. you should think about it, I should say. Especially. And when you're thinking about your map, you should think about maybe bo- such boring things as food growing regions. Yes. Well. Food er, food is one of the most important trade stuffs. It is 98% of the population or something like that is dedicated to food production. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately. So that's just trading. This is yeah. This is a massive topic and it's. It's really we can't hard really to condense. So we're yeah. just trying to we're just trying to blow through as much of it. So you try to be cognizant of trading. Try to be cognizant of sharing cultures. It's why things are in the region that your PCs can buy. There is always a good reason for why things are happening. You just have to explain a little bit better. And it again, I, I'm sounding like a broken record here, but it makes your world feel more lived in if you can just Rattle off the top of your head. Yeah, briefly explain why things are happening other than, you know, like, why is this war happening? Why is Shrimp Town suddenly in outside of Tree Town ready to burn down Tree Town? But then then they're not going to get any lumber. Why could they do that? You know, because you could just say, oh, they're they're dicks and they're here to burn down the town. Or you can go, well, Forest Town has made us a better offer. Yeah. You've become a liability. Yeah, exactly. This violent shrimp town. People don't usually go to war for no reason. I mean, some people do. In fact, orcs are probably a good reason as to why that would happen. But they would, they would, they would figure out a good reason for it because yeah. it's what we do. It's because it's traditional. You know? Why wars happen is again. I'm sounding like a broken record to myself, but it's complicated. There's yeah. a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you can probably think of a reason if you wait long enough. And if people tell you it's unrealistic, you can just point them to the many, many times in history in which it probably happened. Yeah. Can I bring up another thing about Henry V and this French Briefly. Campaign? Briefly, yes. He literally did send a letter to the king of France saying, hey, you have some land that I think belongs to me and uh, either give it to me peacefully or I'm going to come over and fight you. And that was considered, you know, what you should do. You should ask another monarch, hey, would you like to have a war? And they would either say yes or they would either not reply and then they were a chicken and you could officially invade them. And so that's what he did. Right. So. Okay. Excellent. No more Henry V today. Sorry. We no talked more. enough about Henry V. I, I didn't know. Okay. We're going to add it just in post that the show is also secretly about Henry V. Oh, yes. So. Yeah. Let's talk about war and let's – yeah, let's just try to get right. war right. One thing you should – I'm going to start this – weighty topic off with a thing we should note is that the availability of magic in Dungeons & Dragons makes war vastly different than it was in medieval warfare. Oh boy. For you to make a sort of, this is a medieval war happening right now thing happening without acknowledging that something like one in a hundred people are a cleric or a sorcerer or a wizard is I'm not going to say unrealistic but sort of what are they doing? Right. Part of the reason why Jake says I'm cut off from talking about Henry V is because honestly History can only get you so far. Yes. Dungeons and Dragons has dragons. Yeah. Magic. By the point where you get – hold on. I'm just going to create food out of nothing. Yeah, that's a, a second-level spell. I'm just going to do it as many times as I want. Let me yeah. just feed this army while we're watching, marching through a desert. That's a huge change. Like right there. If they couldn't do anything else magical, that would completely reshape warfare to not rely on when food is happening. Yeah. This is where with war and with writing in general – Things can get a little tricky because magic does obviously solve a lot of the problems that you would normally go to war for. For example, you know, our, our crops are bad, so we need to go invade somewhere else to get their land because oh, no. can, we can't grow land. But You, you can get an earth elemental to make the soil you talk to, yeah, You just talk to it. Yeah. Uh, well, apparently, according to Jeremy Crawford, they don't produce the things. They're monsters. From Sage Advice. Saw that. So um, – but anyways – you can talk to a druid, and a druid can fix your crop problem lickety split. Yeah, you know you might have to find a third level druid. Ooh, Ooh, yeah, pay yeah. him a hundred gold or something. Yeah, uh, the reasons to start a war become a lot harder to find when there are people who can come in and solve all their problems. Literally, do magic with uh, yeah, with a or wave I of the hand. Just summon a horde of angels. And exactly. Solve this problem. 
Yeah, so, Nacho also brings up presentation of cool or warm clothing or armor in extreme environments. Indeed. Yeah, oh, yeah it's a cantrip. You can do it, as, do it as much as you want. Yeah. yeah, you just sit there and snap your fingers and, yeah. you know. Everyone's cozy. Just, you know, march along, <laughs> snap your fingers to make your unit feel warm in this cold environment. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to when it comes to war and good and evil and fantasy and stuff, being cognizant of how magic works is good, but still you got to try to find there's typically reasons that magic will not get involved. Like for example, you can't press gang a cleric into doing things for you because their god is going to get angry. Yeah. Um you also can't, you know, sometimes uh, a way I like to keep my wizards kind of out of it is using uh, the fact that they belong to a magical college and the college is forbidden from, you know, interfering in political affairs. They're a non-state actor, if you will. Yeah. Yep. Um, which is just a way to kind of get around that problem. But you s- need to find ways for your conflicts to be satisfying and have like a real weight to it if you're trying to do a politically based game. Now, I should say, and not to interrupt, but I should say, how does this relate to any of the players? And I'm about to get to that is, how does a war relate to your player characters? Because ultimately, your player characters are what the world revolves around, is that if something is not working, you're probably going to change it rather than making them change. So, war provides a thousand and one opportunities for players. Are they... Members of a warring nation, are they mistrusted in a country? Are they expected to fight in the army? Are they spies? Are they mercenaries? working as – yes, as mercenaries, which is something we should also talk about briefly. Are, are they caught up in a family struggle? You know, are they uh, – Is it a war a, between brothers, if yeah. you will? Is it a – you know, by their position in a family, are they caught up in something they don't want to have to deal with? You know? Are they expected as a knight to pay their tithe of battle to their liege lord? All right. How has, has the government the just, you know, uh, all able-minded men land, are your turnip farm and you know turned it into a, an, uh, you know, a testing ground, you know, and you just want your turnips back? And how does their um, national background impact how they're going to be seen in this local city now that they're now that they are at war? It's a great conflict start, and more than that, uh, many nation states would be very happy to hire extremely skilled and dangerous uh, thugs. <laughs> To do dangerous tasks for them. They can't uh, manslaughter vagrants (laughs) to go slaughter some men's for them. Yeah. What's that? You have a ton of money but you have no place to live and you're just wandering around? Yeah. And we've gone full circle. But (laughs) – Manslaughter vagrants. War, yeah. Having a decent setup for war and political interaction gives just so many layers of depth and – it's going to be a focus of politics in the region too is that there's a war going on. While most nations won't be at war helping their uh, – helping one of the two people at war, they will have certainly something to think about and how they can profit or benefit off of it. And it has grand implication in all conflict that happens and all interaction that the players have with the region. For example, if um, – you know, let's just say – we'll say you're playing in a campaign and the war that – this war has just ended. Shrimp Town was victorious – in gutting Tree Town, um, poor you, Tree Town. Yeah, you Selling never forget. Town. Yeah, you play. Uh, you know, you play a couple of people from Shrimp Town. You know, and you're walking through a town, and there's, uh, you know, it's a nearby, it's Forest Town, <laughs> and you're walking through, and there's a bunch of Tree Town refugees, survivors. You know, you walk into a bar, and it turns out it's owned by Tree Town people. Now, even though you might not have had anything to do with that, you know, you you were born after the conflict. Uh, they deny you service because they know you're from Shrimp Town. Sucks to be you. Sucks you might get you. angry about that. You, you know. might get jumped in a back alley by some tree town people who are angry about what Shrimp Town did. You know, you trying to show them the claws of Shrimp Town. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, because this this should be a pretty obvious thing. Like, never sit down and you know story time your players with. Well, and you, then Shrimp Town went to Tree Town three hundred years ago, and then two hundred years ago, and then one hundred fifty years yeah. ago, and these are the reasons why for each of these. It needs to sort of evolve organically from what you've already mentioned. But yeah, again, let the players know, have, do the work. Yeah, just have reason. Well, have reason for things to happen, and you can let it come out in little bits and chunks. I should note that, uh, not to interrupt you. I'm sorry. You're good. Is that reasons don't need to be good. People have fought for stupid reasons oh, since the dawn of time. Way. Uh, if, a re- if people say, that sounds nonsensical, you can say, that's life. Sometimes people are angry for no good reason. Literally, uh, we went to war over Toledo. Yes. 
Yeah, we went to war over Toledo. Um, one Which of my, I wouldn't pay a dollar for nowadays. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite military actions of all time is Operation Paul Bunyan, in which point uh, the United States almost went to war with North Korea over a tree that was blocking the view. And when someone uh, went to trim out, uh, trim the tree, North Korea literally attacked them and killed them. So they drove an entire battalion up there battalion and ran the tree over with a tank oh. and then drove back. <laughs> a war was almost started over a tree over a tree. There are there are dumb reasons for fighting <laughs> since the dawn of time. Why should your world be any different? Yeah, as Chris Perbrick uh, posted, hashtag Justice for Shrimp Town. Justice for Shrimp Town. Never forget. <laughs> Never forget Shrimp Town. Never forget Shrimp Town. Now we have to include Shrimp Town in the setting. I hate. Run, by the way, run by a large man called Mister Gump. <laughs> by the way, Friends I should note that Bubba. many towns, when you translate their names, are translated extremely stupid things. Oh, yeah. yeah. Detroit, for example, the town that well, the city we're recording out of, is named the point where the river gets narrow. Yeah, that's it. That's the name right there. Done. Many towns are stupid when you translate the names. So don't feel afraid to call your town Stonebridge or Mountain Town or something like that. It's Appleton. Yes. Why is it called Appleton? Because they grow apples here. Duh. Fun, fun fact about how narrow the Detroit River is in this place. Uh, a couple of years ago, somebody got drunk, Canadian, got dared to swim across the river. His friends like, wait, no, actually, don't do it. Uh, he got to the Detroit side, swam back, and then the U.S. Coast Guard uh, caught up with him on his way back, ticketed for swimming in a shipping lane. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, don't do it. Also, the Detroit River is gross and full of huge shipping, you know. And oh. guns. Yeah. So <laughs> Freedom is the only way. All right. All right. But finishing up with war really quick just as a – you know, as a topic for it should be a main focus in sort of a background part of your game. Yeah, don't let it dominate because most life is not about killing each other. And also, too, uh, keep in mind the way that most war is fought. It's war is. I think I got this from uh, Max Brooks's World War Z, the book, not the movie. I hate the movie. Um, the book's really good. But they do a very simple way to explain how warfare – how war actually works because it's not about killing everybody. No. It's no. about breaking the spirit and um, – Leaving your enemy It is hearing the lamentations back. of their women and that is the true true, true living. No, that's, that's not from Sun Tzu. Um, that's from Sun Tzu, which is – No, it's not. That's from Conan the Barbarian. That's Conan oh, the Barbarian. JK. Sorry. Sun Tzu, <laughs> Sun Tzu would be uh, to, to win without fighting is the acme ah, of victory. Yes. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Also, Fado points out I personally think Shrimp Town should be a chain restaurant, not unlike the Flounder Pounder. <sighs> the Flounder Pounder. We'll get to that in another episode. Yeah. Um, it's like the so, we just quoted Conan the Barbarian as Sun Tzu. We are I'm we have sorry. lost all credibility. Lost all we just threw away all our credibility in thirty seconds. <laughs> all I right. need a minute. Okay, I need a minute. All right. So focus. Anyways. Oh, that's good. Uh the way war is the way war is typically conducted, one conducted yes. is, you know, cut off shipping, cut off movement. Um Damage supplies. Don't kill people. Maim people. Like make them carry each other home. Yeah, so to speak. Uh, you yeah. can kill people. Don't get me wrong. I mean, World War is about killing people, but it's not all about that. The point is that you need your enemy to give up eventually, because an enemy that fights down to the last person is kind of non-satisfactory. Which yeah. is why you don't just go willy-nilly committing atrocities. Yeah. Um, and war can be big, and war can be small. It can be a constantly simmering thing like uh, two nations could technically be at war with each other. Uh, but, you know, Cold War style, you know, there's no active hostilities. But every They're just now, funding bandits know. to fight each other. Yeah. Mercenaries. Mercenaries. Shell game wars. Um, but being aware of how all these things happen, again, just creates endless opportunity for your players uh, and endless opportunity to do things. It's, to war has – War is a great way to make money, especially if you're a mercenary. So let's talk about um, traditions, cultures, and also how – OK. There's no easy way to phrase this, but let's just uh, – how anti- – uh, yeah, let's just say how antiquity and old styles of thinking should be present in your games yes. and world building. Let's talk about uncomfortable truths of the past. And if you want to include those or not. Yes. Ultimately, you got to remember that your game doesn't have to be real 
What it has to be is believable to your players and it has to maintain a consistent tone. Yeah, internal consistency. It doesn't even have to be believable as long as it's a consistent tone. If you're playing like magic adventures in the outer realms, you don't have to measure the real gravity. But as long as you keep one tone, you'll be okay. Versimilitude is just the easiest way to do this. And for that, you should remember that most of what's going on in like our current justice culture and our law is almost entirely Western European legal culture. The way justice works in many societies does not involve warrants. It doesn't involve trials. And it certainly doesn't involve prisons. Most justice in history involves murdering people who did wrong to you or permanently mutilating them. It's unfortunate. That's how it is. I'm not going to cast any judgment on it. Yeah. Um, it's Your guards will not ask for a warrant. They'll just burst in probably. Yeah. And jail everybody. Temporarily. Temporarily, you know. Um, they, Until yeah, you murder them. They, yeah, they won't uh, – you know, they will have no qualms about not using excessive force. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, fair enough if you murdered us. So. You know. Yeah, you know. They're they'll not, just beat you horrendously. Yeah, you're not going to be able to go complain to, you know, the captain of the guard and go – Excuse me. I he hurt my friend. You know, yeah, you're not going to be able to sue for that. Like it's it's little details like that, though, just to kind of remind like, you know, a lot of people just usually think the guards are, you know, a joke. Like they think of them like the guards in Skyrim and stuff like, you know, oh, you're going to say I took an arrow to the knee and here I did something wrong. Here's a bunch of money. Just make my problems go away. But guards can be great villains because they can just they do wield a lot of power and authority. And, you know, they speak for their lord. You know, we try not to get political here on the show. But there is currently, you know, in America, there is a multifaceted, multi-sided debate on um, our police system and our justice system. That is a really good, like, transitional topic that you can put into your game and use the guards for. Because if you think that there's problems with our justice system now, I'm pretty sure if we were to all jump back in time. um, We would much rather (laughs) take them over guards from, say, 1400 England. Yeah. Yeah. We're just going to jail you for no reason because they can't take your money. Exactly. But you've got a sword too. It's true. They might try to restrict your usage of swords. True. But which is why you have a wizard. Let's take a step back. Is <laughs> so, more than that. That's yeah. But that's just guards. What many nations will consider acceptable is not what you, as a person, may consider acceptable. Slavery is a big one. Is that every nation all the way through throughout history has used slaves. And pretending it's something that only the West did is disingenuous. Yeah. It's, you know. It's we finally, omnipresent until the 1700s, yeah. shall we say. It's, yeah, through all throughout history. Um, and you can also say indentured servitude. You could also throw in um, like Egypt's working class because they technically weren't slaves. They were paid for the thing. But they also had no social advancement whatsoever. Yeah. They were, They're know, stuck there. They were stuck being workers no matter what. There's no upwards mobility outside of becoming a slaughter vagrant. Yeah. So finding appropriate places to do that stuff. Now, I also completely understand if you don't want to have slavery. In your uh, obviously, game. if you don't want to do any of this, that's completely fine. Then, yeah, you don't have to. I would to not do blame it. you. It's Yeah, just make your horrible. Dungeons & Dragons game about a trading dispute or a, a border conflict, you know. It's horrible. It's completely unethical. But people did it, and you should at least acknowledge that in the past. You can – this is – again, this is a setting in which good and evil are physical forces that exist in the universe. So angels could come down and say, hey, don't do that slaving thing. That's bad. And you could say, OK, Mr. Angel, we're not going to do any slavery anymore. Or you could have a demon come up from hell and say, hey, you should do more slavery. It'll be great. You say, OK, Mr. Demon, we'll do that. Yeah. There are – you know, and with things like that and forces like that, there's also you know ways that you could make it more palatable. For players, because it, you know, it is kind of a hard thing to remember that human history is full of atrocities and But, yeah, you don't need to make stuff. your game atrocious. The real world is atrocious enough. Yeah, it's you bad could, enough. Yeah. Um, but there are, yeah, there are ways to, however, make things like, for example, the demon, you know, making people uh, or offering good prices to people who make slaves and stuff. That's That's a way to do it without if you don't just want to be like, oh, yeah, there's casual racism. You know, and just like slavery. slavery, yeah, yeah ca- just yeah, casual just slavery. Like, yeah. like, yeah, no, this this town has slaves because most people like if if somebody doesn't like get a little like, huh, about you should that? probably 
Get your you get your group checked Adjust out. Adjust your maybe. friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would certainly be sort of. Maybe Why maybe we, we shouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's people are different all around the world. But the uh, the whole idea is um, look at antiquity and try to remember that how things worked once upon a time in your geopolit when you're doing all your geopolitics. Yeah. Because it is going to shape conflict. It is going to shape uh, the way your world is functioning. Yeah. The way the world works in so many uh, so many words. Uh, we got a couple more, and then we're gonna we're gonna polish this bad boy off. So let's talk about nation identity, national identity. Yes, we should know that the nation state is a fairly recent development in world history. But many organizations, I say countries, organize themselves by identity of a specific group of people. And there's no reason to say that your world does not also organize itself by uh, dwarves in this specific region have come together to form a country, but. <laughs> For the love of God, do not say all dwarves share this culture, all humans share this culture, all elves share this culture. You can do that. It might work in some settings, but it feels very um, cheap. Yeah. It cheapens things a little bit for all dwarves to just be, you know. Ale-swilling Scotsman. Yeah. Um, you know, a, if a dwarven clan, you know, branched off from, you know, the thousand clan, like, sure, you know, the – Let's say there's a thousand dwarven clans and they're all from under the same mountain and, you know, they're all cousins and it's weird. And, you and know, yet a couple of those clans left. Now there are going to be the, you know, the clans who are still under the mountain and those are going to be, you know, your traditionalists, if you will. Yeah, your traditional dwarves. But on the flip side of that, those dwarves who went other places, they're going to change over time. You know, uh, when they accents, mingle with humans and with halflings and with orcs and with elves, yeah, accents are going to change, uh, ideas are going to change, uh, you know, tools and innovations are going to change, you know, and then these are undermountain dwarves who have now become hill dwarves. In 10 generations, they're going to be completely unrecognizable. Yep, different language, different culture, different accent. Um, it all changes over time. So, try. Your best to not present everything as a monolith? If you can't, that's fine. I'm not going to judge your playstyle, obviously. But do remember that it's there's got to be a good reason why every single dwarf in the world has to be the same. Yeah. Same with elves. Uh, yeah. It's a little disingenuous. spore-grown clones underground. <laughs> but you got to make that work somehow. Well, there's a reason. That yeah. red makes everything go faster. <laughs> um, trucks, wogs. Sorry, I love 40K orcs. They're so good. Um, so good. I will not so say my favorite so quote because I've used up enough of our shorts. Yeah. Anyways. Regardless. Same with elves. Same with um, humans. Most, same with halflings. Same yeah, with most human-based races. The only place where you can – like stuff like that makes sense is like lizard folk. But they're already meant to be alien in thought anyways. Yes, they're different. I do love the fluff in Volos about how to play a lizard folk more effectively and it's like – you know, do remember that times that your friend, you know, like the way they look at you is like them looking at food, but they like this food. So they're not going to eat the food, but they kind of want to watch out. Yeah. He's going to get you. He's going to get you. It's like when your cat is looking at you like, yes. Yeah. Uh, and also be, you know, be cognizant of the fact that people are very proud of where they come from. Oh, yes. National identity is a huge thing and people are going to fight each other over it. Yeah. yeah. Just imagine like the Super Bowl is coming up. The Winter Olympics are coming up. Like that kind of hype. You know, unless you have a very good reason to, you know, an elf um, from New Elfington is going to, you know, be a proud New Elfington first and care less that his – uh, you know, that the other person's an elf unless it's like elves are super rare or there's, you know, some other arbitrary thing, you know. We're talking about standard fantasy setting here, not necessarily about whatever shenanigans are going on. Yeah, in, in, in your in your own yeah. personal setting. Um, Obviously, keep that in mind. We're talking about generic fantasy here. Yeah. If, but yeah, if there's an elf from New Elfington, he's going to, you know, and some elf from Old Elfington says something, <laughs> you know, he's going to lay the smack down. Because he's proud of where he's from. Yeah. Um, Most people are not ashamed of their heritage. Yeah. Uh, mixed, Unless there's a good reason. You know, and mixed communities like this and stuff, they're going to care more about where the community actually is than about typical offenses unless it's, you know, something different in your setting. Yeah. But that's the long and short of individual national identity. Just trying to – Remember that 
trying to keep in end, mind. People are going to be more concerned about stuff that comes mm-hmm. where they live rather than their ancient identity. Yeah. Yeah. What's more relevant it, to their obviously everyday life. in specific yeah. cases. But. Yeah. If you're like a, an immortal cleric of some immortal deity, sure. But yeah, you're, it's what's more relevant to you and your players' everyday, everyday lives. And last but not least, let's polish off this truck, this trucking through geopolitics. Oh, this is certainly an experience. This is a nice yeah. road trucking. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about good and evil real quick. And How does good and evil affect your world? Yeah. How does morality how does morality play? I mean, and how does morality? Or like, work? how do deities? R- real world. Step in? The world has the problem that things are not so clear cut, and that what every religion dictates as their own personal morality, what every country says is good or bad, are different things. In Dungeons and Dragons, like the gods can literally come down and say, "Hey, this is good. This is evil. Do this. Don't do that." Or, "Hey, you're evil now. This is what you're going to do because you're a jerk." Yeah. It's it, it certainly leads to, leads to a sort of world where personal accountability is probably far less. Yeah. It's strange, too, to consider, you know, because, again, we live in a world where we, you know, there could be a God, there couldn't be a God. We're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that whole thing, but it's like there's a lot of unknowns. In a lot of fantasy settings and like the base, you know, D&D stuff, like there are gods. They're right there. You can go call them up. Yeah, you can go call them up. You can they ask have, one to give, make you light in your hand, you know, or fire, you know, just real chill. That affects uh, certain morality. Like if you know that if you have actual proof that there is a divine being, you know, suddenly you're going to be walking the straight and narrow. If we're going to yeah, use if, this. If they're uh, going to literally come say, down and literally hey, dope slap you. You're going to go to super hell if you disobey me. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. going to obey them. Yeah. It makes – There are consequences that are very real. It's also not that in a sort of worse sense you can say, hey, these orcs are evil. You don't have to feel bad about killing them. That's the way genocides get started. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, you need to – that's what that's why that's why having a pantheon of gods. Well, also, too, when it comes to – when it comes to the idea of good and evil, I mean that's ultimately why I dislike the idea of just monolithic races, you know. Yeah. Uh, orcs are – you know, for example, orcs are just evil. Um, not very nuanced. It's dwarves or Scotsmen who live yeah, underground. Yeah, dwarves or Scotsmen who get drunk. Elves are pretentious and snobby still all the time. Um, you need to. Yes, I just th- did very secretary. Yeah, there are. In, there's interchange. There's going to be orcs who ran into. You know, we're going to use Shrimp Town again. Uh, you know, they were able to work and live in Shrimp Town. It was a much better life for them than marauding and murder killing and thrilling and killing. Boat. It turns out that sort of lifestyle is pretty rough. Yeah, it turns yeah, it turns out that being a marauder for your entire existence sucks. But when you're marauding only shrimp, you get to eat gumbo. Yeah, you get to eat gumbo all the time. Um, you know, there are going to be outsiders in every community, but they eventually will get accepted through work and additions. It may take generations, but it'll happen. Yeah, it takes time. Um, When it comes to good and evil in D&D, the the only things that are ever absolutes in terms of evil are demons. Anything that is made out of perfectly pure – outside of the only things that are always – Stuff that takes radiant damage. Evil are always good. Yeah. Yeah. Demons are evil. Angels are good. Yep. For everything else, it's kind of a mess. That's – yeah, that's that's about that. When it comes to using it in your game though – do try to be cognizant of the fact that unless there's like a very specific reason, like a lot of people hate the fact that they made Knowles uh, based on a demon now in fifth edition. I actually like it because it, it explains why they're such it jerks. It explains all the time. why they're jerks all the time. Right. You know, they're literally bound to the blood of, you know, a Knoll demon. Or something. Yeah, yeah, they're literally so. even. They're not just mad. They're not just mean. Yeah. They're just crazy. Um it at least explains that away right. because Knowles used to be a civilization. Yeah, it gives it an, an in-context explanation for the You know, I'm, I'm still not big on it because, you know, it's like I would like my Knowles to be talked to. Uh, but I kind of make my Knowles like Wendigos. They're unintelligent and they're just, you know. Murderers. Murderer. Yeah, they just walk around and kill until they get killed. Um, but let's wrap this up. Yeah, wrapping up. Uh, so, yeah. Jeez. Okay. going. We to- talked about a lot today. Yeah. Uh, thank you for bearing with us. I believe, however, that is – Pretty much the end of our New Year, New World segment. Unless we have something we specifically need to talk about next week. Um, so, yeah, a big exciting thing with that is we are going to compile all of our notes. It's going to take us about a month probably to do and look for some artwork. But we are going to publish this bad boy. 
it's going to take us about a month or two to get everything like together and done in a presentable, neat fashion. But in about a month, month and a half or so, hopefully we'll be able to throw this bad boy on the DMs Guild. And also on our website. For, of course. Yeah. Or a link, to, a link to it on our website, which will hopefully be up and running officially soon. Not just our Facebook Just page. waiting just on graphics art, graphic arts. Just Still. My ancient copy of Adobe Illustrator. Has yeah. Hating it. But all said. All right. I think we've said everything we want to say. Yep. Uh, so one last time, we're doing a giveaway. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Um, go like our Facebook page. Once we get to 500 likes, we're going to give away two books, um, one book to two people. Um, a book gonna, of your choice. Book of your choice. No special editions because obviously we're not going to go eBay for three, you know, for three years trying to get a 40, you know, try to make it affordable for us. Uh so head over to our Facebook page. Give us a like if you enjoyed the content. Uh, sorry, it was a little scatterbrained this week, but uh, we did. Uh, we had we, some shenanigans going on. There that. was, uh, yeah, there was a bit of celebrating <laughs> yesterday. We probably probably shouldn't have gotten probably shouldn't have gotten so drunk before the most dense talk. Yeah, the most content dense. And I will oof. put a drunk history of the Battle of Agincourt on our website for Patreon content at some point, and then <laughs> Jake will not interrupt me to say I'm running out of time. Well, I mean. I have feelings. We'll, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about Henry V. But okay. The bourbon house completely dissolved. That's it. All right. We're done. We're done for the day. All right. I'm Jake. Thank you for attending us. I'm Paul. I'm Helen and I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the Three DMs podcast. Ugh. Signing off. Wait for it. Fear not, Fear not ranger, ranger, barbarian, magician, thief, cavalier, and acrobat. <laughs> That was Vengeance, the force of evil. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. And that's how you play Dungeons and Dragons. Bitch. Are we no longer live? Uh, yeah. Alrighty. That was, that was, that that was, was disaster. Wolf. Yeah, that was a bad episode. Oh, well. Oh. I'm going to go throw up in the sink now. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was gross. That was bad. We sucked this week. Bad, bad, bad. I'm sorry, guys. I could have done better. Uh, I think uh, we pulled it together by the end. But I needed more time to prep. I didn't prep enough on the car. So do you want me to drop you off at your house or straight to the boys? Shall we go? Um, yeah, I'm going, I'm going in there first. <laughs> okay. Let's see. I need to turn off the fucking recorders. Stop.